0: Welcome to Mind Music Mastery, a weekly podcast brought to you by Talyard Education. Join us for a series of episodes for every creative to explore the space inside of ourselves as well as outside of ourselves. You are your own champion. You are your own best friend. Welcome to episode five of Mind Music Mastery. My name is Lucy Massiera. I am the Senior Marketing Manager at Tal Education and I'm here with the ever lovely Suze to bring us in some light today. Um, But most most excitingly we actually have our first ever guest on our show today and I'm so excited and so delighted to introduce her in. We have with us today the lovely Rory. She is a singer songwriter and an artist in her own right she's had some amazing hits coming out over the last 12 months we are so so delighted to have you here with us today hello how are you doing worry i am doing really good thank you so much for having me as your first guest on my music mastery thank you for giving us your time today um so we thought as we have you today we would just make you the theme usually we do theme these podcasts um And we do talk, you know, around specific topics. But I think in this instance, you've had such an incredible journey um, that I've been following myself actually online from afar. And I know Suze has as well. So I think we'd just like to talk about the journey that you've had through your own personal discovery and really the tools that you have found to be the most helpful for you as an artist, as a musician. Wow. That's certainly an amazing way
1: to hear the last decade of a mess of my life being described and I'm gonna take notes on that because that's how I'd like to be introduced all the time so thank you happy to be the theme
0: happy to be the theme take your notes away yeah I mean I think you've just had such an incredible journey from from mind transformation through to physical transformation through to to recovery um so I'm gonna hand over to Suze now and I think we should really just start finding out a little bit more about you Um, And about, you know, this, this journey that you've been on for the past few years.
2: I think it'd be really useful for our listeners to have a little, um, kind of just an overview of, let's say, the last two years of, like, kind of you coming back to doing music full time, stepping into, like, what you feel is, like, really aligned to your true self versus, um kind of the stuff that you were doing before. Like, why does it feel different this time? And, yeah, just go from there, really. Of course. How long have I got? Because I've got a
1: tendency to speak a lot, so you might want to give me a... I'll flash you a little timer. A timer, yeah. Just tell me to shut up. That's what I need. Um, Well, I guess the the last two years have been a massive period of transformation on every level. Um, As Lucy already said, kind of physical, mental... Um, also professional I think they all go together and um, two years ago I was it was actually two years ago this month when I began my sort of physical transformation which started this whole process which then led to getting sober coming back to music starting the Rory kind of original project at that time in my life um, and I obviously didn't know at the time it's the benefit of hindsight which is the world's worst superpower um, I was really depressed. I was suffering with anxiety. Um, Quite recently, I've been diagnosed with complex post-traumatic stress disorder. So that was a big part of it as well. Mm. Um, But I didn't know. And as a way to kind of cope with a lot of what that brought on, I was drinking a lot and doing a lot of drugs. Mm. Um, I did do a lot of coke a few years before. Um, Yeah, but I kind of managed to stop that on my own. I mean, I guess I was still doing it a few times a year, but nothing compared to historical. But two years ago, I was still drinking a lot pretty much every day Um, and also smoking a lot of weeds. I lived in Amsterdam, so it was very, very rare there was a sober day. In fact, I don't really remember any. And I remember it was around May time, just feeling really, really like I'd had enough about my... Physical health—it came from quite a superficial place of just really wanting to lose weight mm. because people are going to like me more if I'm thin. Yeah, yeah there w- there was no deep spiritual thing to it. I just wanted to be thin because I hated myself, and mm. maybe if I'm thin, I might like myself, and other people like me. Where
2: do you think that mindset came from? Do you think that was very much just your upbringing? I'm a woman. Social conditioning. Yeah. I'm a
1: woman. That's, it's like drilled into me, and even now, two years down the line, I've done so much work. Mm. And I'm so happy and I'm out there and I'm me yeah I still want to be smaller mm. I f- and I have to fight that I have to really fight that and I shared a lot of my physical transformation online and like I look back and I'm like oh gosh it makes me cringe because some of the stuff I was saying it just wasn't true mm. claiming to be like really healthy and all that I just wanted to be thin be yeah. small be light um you know I think a lot of women suffer with that the desire that when we're smaller we're more valuable mm. um I don't know how you fix that one but I'm trying I've put on a stone in lockdown so it doesn't show it does show if I could well I'm not going to show you my stomach but it's yeah um but yeah so that's where it began with me just wanting to lose weight for very superficial reasons but that was you know the world works in mysterious ways and that was the first thing I needed to do to kind of start reclaiming a bit of power over my life because I was very very out of control um I'd been on loads of diets before always like yo-yo dieting putting on weight losing weight mm. for whatever reason this time something was different I, I really did stick to it and I was going to the gym and I got a personal trainer mm. um I think that addict brain yeah. that once was smashing coke four times a week was then smashing the gym I just applied yeah. the same all or nothing to the gym so maybe it wasn't that healthy but it was definitely healthier than some of the stuff I'd done before and managed to lose loads of weight and over that journey I just learned so much about myself Mm. I learned that I was more in control I learned that I could control certain desires like my desire to binge eat for example um so that started to change something because I felt like a very out of control reckless rebellious person no limits that was how I, my personal story mm. so that started to change and I think just working out and sticking to something in a weird way I was honoring myself yeah even though the initial reason for doing it was superficial yeah. um there's a funny quote I've heard in like OA meetings and it says people come for the vanity and stay for the sanity. And that was me. Mm. But, you know, it got used in that way. So that kind of began the whole thing. During that time, I asked to go for a coffee with this bloke called George um, because he was well into fitness. I was like, he's going to be able to give me some tips to make me, like, even better at this and have, like, an even more ripped body and everyone's going to think I'm cool. So I went and met this bloke for a coffee and... We didn't talk about fitness at all. He actually shared his sobriety story with me. Wow. And this, like, man, this, like, mega-muscly man, like, in his 50s, is there crying, sharing his story. Good. And I was like, well, this, this is weird. Like, why is, he, why is he telling me about AA? Like, yeah, I like a drink, but definitely not an alcoholic. <laughs> um, and kind of left and was, you know, it was great. Mm. And I, I appreciated the story, but it didn't resonate with me at the time. Yeah. But I did make the decision to stop drinking... Um, for calorie reasons, not because I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> for calories, because he wants to drink calories. I'd rather, rather eat a dairy milk. So I tried to stop drinking on my own. And I couldn't do it. I was really trying to control drinking, just drinking on a Friday. But I was just obsessed by it. I was thinking about it all week. It was really, really hard. Um, and I sort of did that for about three months. But it was so difficult. So I was, like, fighting the gym thing, getting get in the gym and fighting, not drinking. And then eventually, so I began it in May. And then in September, I went to Ibiza on a, on a work trip. Um, and I was, yeah, going there for a photo shoot and to do all this stuff. And I ended up drinking, doing a load of drugs, being up for three days, um, cheated on my boyfriend, just awful. Like, the, the worst things you could do. I'm re- really, really not proud of the behaviour there missed the the photo shoot that like would flown a photographer to Ibiza and I just ignored his phone calls oh he was no. just sat in his hotel room when I'm out snorting ketamine off a stranger's key in some random hotel room so when I came back from Ibiza I was that was my rock bottom with alcohol and with drugs um, I just couldn't believe, I couldn't believe I'd let it impact work, I was so set that I was going out there to work and like be sober and you know, living this kind of fake healthy life and then bang, I'm right back where I was doing class A drugs but it was even worse that was September the 13th 2018, September the 14th I went to my first 12 step meeting and, you know by the grace of God I've been sober since then so that's, well my last chip was 18 months but I've lost count how long ago was that? 20 months? yeah shitload of time to not drink um, so that was the that was that. and then through stopping drinking a lot of things changed mm. um, I think a lot of people that have addictions have addictions because they're trying to cope with something mm. and when you stop drinking and you stop taking drugs those things surface yeah. so the last year and a half has been very emotionally intense it's also been amazing I've been grieving the loss of my mum for the first time in 15 years. I've had the ability to repair friendships that I'd lost when I was in active addiction. And I suppose the final part of that was being able to really show up at work and in music. Mm. Um, I've been in music for many years. The first time round, drinking, doing drugs, didn't honour it, didn't honour myself. Had a lot of opportunities, squandered them. Um, And actually got to a point when I quit music for quite a long time. And two years ago, again, came back to it. So it all kind of happened at the same time. This, like, grand flourishing of, like, getting my shit together, finally. And, yeah, over the last 18 months, alongside being and staying sober, has then been writing songs that have actually been successful, been radio songs, and then starting to sing again. Mm. and coming face to face with my own like crippling low self esteem and imposter syndrome but like managing to work for it having a lot of support um, deep friendships, hypnotherapy um, trauma therapy and I'm still on that journey mm. um, so I'm still learning I'm still growing, I still face a lot of fears all mm. the time mm. but I have so many more tools yeah. to overcome them so when I have bad days I'm never going to quit it's just a bad day and I'll I'll use the tools I'll ring someone and that's it I do actually want to go back a little bit of
2: course do Um, your thing you said there was a period of time where you um, stopped doing music completely Mm. a couple of things really why did you stop doing music and what was the turning point that led you back to music what happened
1: in between okay Um, why did I stop doing music first of all it just it got too hard. I couldn't I couldn't face the rejection. Mm. I couldn't face the fact that my dream hadn't worked out. I think I had quite a lot of entitlement but also an incredibly low self esteem. And those two things going together is, is just always a mess. Mm. Um, there's this like recovery phrase that says very a lot of addicts are egomaniacs with inferiority complexes and that was me in a weird way, I was like yeah. self-obsessed and like, I've got to be on stage, I've got to be the star but on the other side of the coin but I'm disgusting and I'm fat and I'm shit and that was been like it's yeah. crazy, so yeah. it's never going to end well when you're swinging between those two extremes um, I had an album that I'd done um, the record label kind of went bust just before it came out and I'd worked so hard to sort of like force that through I just couldn't do it anymore mm. I just didn't have it in me so I was like, okay, that's the world telling me it's not meant for me. And I react, even though I was in my 20s, I reacted like probably an eight-year-old. And just was like, fine, if music doesn't want me, I don't want music. I don't even like music. I don't even like writing songs. And I completely rejected it. Yeah. Um, and I would tell all my friends, I don't like singing. I don't miss it. Nope, not for me. Mm. I don't do that anymore. But when I was... Off my nut on different types of Class A drugs. I'd always start talking about it and I'd start crying mm. and be like, "I miss music," but only when I was absolutely wasted. So it's almost like denial was your um, self defense mechanism. A hundred percent against the disappointment. If I don't want it, mm. then it it can't hurt. If it doesn't want me, it hurts seeing people on stage. It hurts yeah. seeing people people brave enough to live their dream and I knew that I hadn't been brave Mm. so that I was angry at myself of course I projected that onto them was angry at them so I was probably a real dick to work with but I was also like really wildly creative that I never went away so I I was able to add a lot of value as a creative and a songwriter on on certain management teams and yeah loads of people encouraged me to go back to music but I never did it and I don't know if I would have done it Mm. um there was there was two turning points for me really. One was I lost my job as a manager. I lost my biggest client. Um, couldn't really afford to carry on my rock and roll lifestyle, um, and I just had to think, well, what am I? Gonna, what can I do? What else can I do? And it really was like, do I go and get a normal job? Yeah. No, thank you. I'm far too lazy for that. Or go back to <laughs> go back to songwriting. Yeah. Um and. I was like, well, I guess I'll give songwriting a go. So I'd been very humbled. All the entitlement was gone. And now I was just, like, desperate, like, me with a begging bowl, like anyone that will take me. Self-esteem on the floor. Imposter syndrome skyrocket. But But I did it at that moment. Um... And at that time, I was like, oh, if I could just write a few songs, I just saw myself as a songwriter. Mm. Still definitely couldn't think about singing. Yeah. I like, pushed that away. So I let songwriting back in first. And within, like, six months of going back to songwriting, I didn't know it at the time because it came out a year later, but that's when I was part of writing Post Malone, which mm. went on to be a big global hit. So things happened really quickly when I showed up again, even yeah. with all the imposter syndrome. Wow, yeah. You know, which is kind of testament to you might not feel good enough, but just do it anyway, because what if you are? Yeah, You might be wrong. Even Stay, yeah. that song surprises me, because I like to tell myself I'm a piece of shit songwriter. And it's I'm almost not... like the universe was trying to tell you something there. <laughs> maybe it was. Maybe it, maybe it was. Yeah, so... But over that process, I thought that was it. Like, I'm just going to write songs for other people... And that's cool. Like, I'm very grateful to have another chance to be back in music. Um, But then, I don't know. It was like, it just started flooding back in. This desire to sing and sing songs that I loved. And even, I wouldn't listen to music for years. It was almost too painful to even listen to music. I started listening to music again. Listen to, like, emo songs and, like, The Offspring and Green Day and stuff I loved when I was a bit younger. Mm. And just realising, man, I love this. Why am I not doing this? Um, but I still face so much fear. I just didn't believe I was an artist. Mm. There was this story that I saw in the music industry, which was... And actually, it's true. It's not a story. Like, people either see you as an artist or a songwriter, and people were seeing me as a songwriter, and I saw myself as a songwriter. Yeah. And... Um, now, obviously, if you see yourself as a songwriter, mm. everyone else is going to see yourself as a songwriter. That's how it works. Yeah. But I was looking for other people for validation. I'm, Validate me. Tell me I'm, a, I'm an artist. Oh, nobody's doing it. I must not be an artist. An artist, you know, grows a pair of boobs. I'm not going to say balls because pro-women. Um, <laughs> grows a pair of boobs and will show up as an artist. But I didn't have it. I didn't mm. have the belief to do mm. it. Mm. So I was constantly waiting for someone to come and give me the permission to be who I knew I was deep down, but I was too petrified to do it. Mm. Um, And then, can I say about you being on it? Yeah, so Suze basically is part of my management team and has been around for that whole journey, like kind of going back to songwriting. And basically... (laughs) kind of saw me starting to, to sing again and saw something in me that I couldn't really see in myself. And last summer sort of sat me down and was like, why don't you just do it? Why don't you just give it a go for one year? Like, be Rory, do original music, like, use your voice, write your songs. And I remember, like, crying and being like, I can't, like, I'm not right, I'm not good enough, my voice isn't good enough, I'm not pretty enough, I'm not thin enough. Like, all this stuff just kept coming out, all these excuses. And... Um, and yeah, pretty much you, you just told me to do it. And I did it because I listened to you. Because your, your voice has authority. Um, <laughs> so I did it. And I, I was like, what's, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Like if I do it for one year and it doesn't work, yeah. other than the crippling, humiliating shame of everybody that I know personally looking at me as an absolute failure, you know, that's all actually, I had to deal with.
2: <laughs> that was actually
1: the second time I told you. Yeah, you, to, you told me like six years ago. I wasn't ready for it. Was it 2015? I yeah. was, five years ago, I wasn't ready for it then. Yeah, I was not ready to hear that. So you saw it a long, a lot longer before I saw it.
2: Yeah.
1: But this time, you came at the right time. <laughs> you just got me when I was weak, and then no, you was, I was it. sober. I think that meant a lot. Of oh, difference. I was sober, <laughs> so I wasn't forgetting all the good advice. Like, yeah, great, bruv. I'm off down the pub. <laughs> Eight pints later, she can't remember a thing. So yeah, Sue said, do it for a year. I was pretty convinced that I'd do it for a year and it wouldn't work because I'm a piece of shit and then I'd get to be like, look, see? And then go back to songwriting and that was, like, last August and since, since doing that, it, like, life's just changed. I'm, like, the happiest I've ever been. I can't believe some of the records I've got coming out, like, as feature records with my voice. I'm just about to release my, kind of, first original single... And pretty much every everything that I'd hoped for the first time round is coming true now. And it's coming from a place of different energy because I'm not desperate for it. And I don't feel unworthy for it. Mm. I'm pretty chill. I'm like, oh, this is just me. This is just what I do.
2: Yeah.
1: And that's it. Um, and before I was so tied to... Results and looking good and perception and and all that stuff and I just don't care anymore like my bit is writing the songs and I do that to process emotions because I'm not very good at that and that's it so I'll go and do my songs send them to you and that's it, it's done (laughs) so yeah I think there was two there was one going back to music going back to songwriting because I had nothing else to do and then going back to being an artist because actually someone close to me encouraged me and I don't think I would have done it myself. I don't think I would have had the, the courage. Um,
0: so yeah, cheers. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is a really nice podcast because I'm hearing a little bit about both of your stories. Um, it's quite nice to hear this as an outsider's Aww. perspective, but also listen to. Um, Listen to the energy that sits between you both and you can see the nurturing nurturing side of of what, what's there, like the space between. Um, but you said something earlier which really resonated with me, Rory. you said something about, I just believed this mm. was my story. You know, when you were sort of in a place where you were living in Amsterdam and you just accepted that you was the girl that just went over the top. What made you... What made you think that that was your story? I just I just found that line was really, really, really powerful. Was it the point of repetition? The fact that you, you just felt like you'd been sort of living this life for a period of time, that this was the definitive version yeah, of I you? Yeah, I think so.
1: I think that was my identity. I'd been rebellious for as long as I could remember. And that was just that. And I think mm-hmm. most people live like that. Like, we get a personality when we're, like, under 10... It gets worse when we're a teenager and then we just stick with it. <laughs> and that's it. And that that's just me. Yeah. I guess I thought I was like pretty fun on a night out, but a bit of a loser, quite unreliable, not a very good friend. Um and that and they were truths and I couldn't ever believe that they could change. Um like I think we all have yeah. that, like we have ways that we tell our story. And then we choose to live as the lead character in that story. And I think what I've learned is that you can fundamentally and absolutely change your entire story, you know, with making peace with the past. And just Mm -hmm. kind of, yeah, I don't know, deciding what you want to be like. Like, I didn't have to be reckless and out of control. I could be in control if I wanted. Um, And again, I think the sort of like weight loss journey, that was the first time... I ever felt in control and not just live in this like hedonistic life guided by whatever I felt like doing that day
0: Mm. do you think that you was more vulnerable to that because I mean you was working I mean you've been working in music for a while you said even when you took your break from sort of what you feel like really is the more authentic you and the creative that you are you were still working in music management do you think that you was more vulnerable to this behavior because certain creative industries kind of promote and encourage this kind of go-hard behaviour? Do you think it's... <laughs> <sighs> that is a big question, 100%. Mm. Because
1: I remember my first line of cocaine when I was 17 in a club in Birmingham. God's kitchen, God bless soul. <laughs> um, I remember my first pill in a club, mm. Air, Birmingham. I think it's also closed um and it, so it was all dance music it was all music mm. and then when I was working in music in in dance music it's just everywhere and it's free mm. so that's even more dangerous and it was just for me it was part of the culture like going out getting absolutely wrecked like meeting up with promoters meeting up with other DJs um and it is, you know, just so so unprofessional. But there's no like policing, there's no safeguarding, there's no policy. Like people just get thrown in, and a lot of people end up working in music because they just love music and they love partying. So they're really there for the the fun life. And um, so I saw that side of it. Like, yeah. And it, I'm not saying that it was my environment's fault because I would have found drink and drugs anywhere mm. I went. But it's definitely not a good environment for someone to be in if they do have addiction problems Mm.
0: because it's
1: everywhere and it's not judged. You know, like, if someone was working a nine-to-five job and they were doing coke every day, I think somebody might say, like, you might have a problem or, or they might realised something was wrong but if you're in music and you're doing coke at every gig and you're gig- gigging three, four times a week nobody says anything, in fact it's encouraged mm. and your managers will do it with you, the promoters will do it with you and actually being sober you become the odd one out mm. um, but it is really weird now being on the other side and being sober um, and just realising like ha- there's so many amazing people that do honour it and do work so hard and they're there whether they're sober or they can drink moderately um you know not everybody is a wrecked and sometimes I just look back and think oh god like when I used to turn up to to calls half cut and I'd be like slurring on the call just like oh I'm still really embarrassed about that um but yeah it's it's important for me now to really speak to other artists about that something I'm really passionate about just by sharing my story of like the mental health changes about getting sober and how really it's it saved my life potentially physical Mm. life because I did I did used to suffer with a lot of suicidal thoughts had a suicide attempt when I was really drunk once but definitely spiritual and emotional life like I was dead 100% and now I'm like woo,
0: fully alive Mm. And that's yeah. great. That's that's really powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I I can vouch for that. Actually, I remember the first time I met you was was at Tall Yard, um, and that that's exactly what you were. You were just you were just life. You were just like this at this point of vibrancy. I was really drawn to you, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you check checking no, the but yeah yeah please please I'll give you my give you my address after, after this.
1: and she is single ladies and gents if you didn't hear earlier you are you're gonna share my old insta the audience details at the end aren't you just yes. in case yes <laughs>
2: if you want to slide into the dm
1: <laughs> oh my god uh, amazing but no thank you thank you i really appreciate that because I felt the same way about you. It's been an absolute like honour and pleasure to get to know you at Tile Yard, um, you know. And then, Sue's kind of working with you. It's just amazing, and Tile Yard, I have to say, has been a huge part of my journey. I probably should have mentioned that before. That was like, going to be my next question. Oh, she's sliding it in. All right, I won't take credit. Off you go. <laughs> what do you want to talk about now, Sue? <laughs> I've
2: got this great question for you, actually. Oh, um, <laughs> So many people that I speak to have kind of a very, like... Um, and I understand the process because sometimes music can be very wounding um, and disappointment, if not aggrieved, can really lead to a lot of resentment. And I've come across a lot of people who feel the need to to go into the industry, like, all guns blazing, full, full in the ego and, like, trying to... Like this is me. I can do it on my own, and like, kind of not really aware of how much the music industry is an industry of teamwork. Mm. And I'd love for you to share, from like an artist perspective, what your experience has been
1: being on both sides of that. <sighs> wow, it's a big question. Um, definitely being an artist. Mm. You run the risk of being an egomaniac. Mm. I have been one. Occasionally I still am one. I've got people <laughs> that keep me in check <laughs> now. And I meditate, so I keep my own arse in check. But you run the risk of being an egomaniac because you, you are the star of the show. Like, you walk in the room, you're writing songs for you, you're on stage. Mm. Very, very easy to let that go to your head. Mm. And also again as a self defence to like rejection be like big, be strong be hard and then the rejection won't hurt, it's very easy to become a twat um, unfortunately so I've definitely been on both sides of that and I've seen that teamwork is the key Mm. but real teamwork because there's two types of teams an artist can create they can create a team of yes men Mm. to like add fire to the ego Mm. acting out of fear, saying yes, validating just their vision Mm. so you end up with like this artist at the triangle then all these people underneath them Mm. it's like a dictatorship and then I've also seen when you're in it together, when it's a circle when everybody's equal just because you're the artist, just because you're singing the songs you're not more important than your manager or your accountant or your songwriters Like you are all vital part
2: Mm.
1: Uh, and just treating managers like like rubbish and I have really had to learn for me personally without my team I would be nothing I might be singing a few songs on a Friday night in my own living room or whatever but I wouldn't be releasing music I wouldn't be doing the artist thing not a chance Mm. the business would have gone bankrupt like all that other stuff would have fallen apart so I think it's really important for people to like really become humble in how important the other members of their team are mm. and to treat them with respect mm. and to and you all rule this project together rather than like one person ruling with an iron fist because it's really common for artists to like scream at their managers and like have a go at them and mm. um, invalidate them and it's almost like they feel that's their right because I don't yeah. know because they're yeah. paying them yeah but it's it's just it, yeah it's not cool so i I really try now to. Um, I don't know. Just be nice to people and like be an equal part of the team. Listen to everybody else's point of view and also know that I can be wrong. Mm. Because when it's like your art, it's very easy to want to do your art your way. But I'm not here because I'm a marketing genius or like a great with money. Like awful at those things. In fact, I can write a song that I put mm. my emotion into it. Full stop. That's it. Mm maybe do a bit of branding because I sort of like that stuff because it's fun but the rest of it I can't do Mm. so try and keep my awe out of the stuff that isn't what I'm meant to be doing
2: I just want to pick up a little bit on what you said about humility being a key thing what does humility look like to you? you told me a quote about this recently humility isn't thinking less of yourself it's thinking of yourself less there you go what she said
1: that one in quote form i'm a walking me machine she is a walking me machine if i was going <laughs> to ramble on and make it a lot less hard hitting for, for me personally it was about realized like gratitude like yeah. i'm so grateful mm. that i have got a second chance in music yeah. i'm so grateful that i have insane people beautiful people around me that want to help me and support me, that genuinely care about me. Mm. I'm so grateful that I'm with a company like Towel Yards and and that they would sort of give me a chance to, you know, release my own music and things like that. So gratitude, I think, really helps. Humility. I think also, again, very personal to me, it's being on the recovery journey, working the 12 steps, because that's a huge part of getting sober, it's not about putting down the drink it's about how you live when you're not drinking how do you become a better human being Mm. and so much of it is about humility putting others before you not self-seeking not being selfish and like they work you hard on the old steps and as I've been working through and I'm on step 5 at the moment um, of a 12 step programme I'm just seeing like I've written down so much history of like issues that I've had in the past and there is so much self-seeking, dishonesty, manipulation. So of course things weren't going to go well. Mm. So you get humbled by your own bad behavior mm. and then you make amends for it and you never do it again. So like I, and I practice that on a daily basis. At the end of every day, I log on an app and I answer questions like, have I been dishonest? Do I owe an apology? Mm. Have I reached out to someone in need? Every night I do mm. that. Mm. Well, wow. So it's really important to
2: seek self but not be self-seeking.
1: <laughs> you are just walking, talking quote.
0: Machine. She's the master of it. And I she's love the it. master. She, she's the master of the She's old always quotes. dropping them on me as well. Always, yeah. Is she? Yeah. <laughs> but
1: they're brilliant. I wish I could do that. Speaking quotes rather than long rambling monologues.
2: <laughs> but you're an artist. That's what you do. That's true. Yeah. Listen to me. It's all
1: about me. How long have I got? <laughs>
0: I think uh, what you were saying about the 12 steps of recovery, I I've been discovering a little bit about this uh since the new year cuz I tapped into Russell Brand's book Recovery. I don't know if you've read it. Uh yeah. I, I thought you might have done, but I actually downloaded the audiobook cuz I quite like listening to books being spoken by the writer and I find I just feel so much more connected to it. And i mean i knew a little bit about the 12 steps but i really felt like i wanted to be fully inducted because being close to people such as yourself who have been through been through the recovery journey or haven't quite made it through the recovery journey it was really important to me to understand and oh my goodness they are like you say hard work like i'm actually i've actually mm-hmm. made a commitment to myself that i'm gonna induct myself through the 12 steps myself when i when i feel like i'm <sighs> at a point that i'm ready to do so but But fully understanding and getting a grasp of them now. Like, I commend you entirely. Mm. There's so much self-work, but but from what I understand, it's all about being better for yourself to be able to shine a light outwards as well, to be better for everyone and everyone Mm. around you.
1: Yeah, I mean, that, first of all, amazing that you've read his book and then it's brought you to want to do the 12-step work. I always think, you know, it tends to be drug addicts, alcoholics, gambling addicts that find it. (laughs) but this program is so good for everyone. Because mm-hmm. you like look back, you clean house, you humble yourself, and then you just become a bit of a better human being. Mm-hmm. Still mess up, but then you say sorry and you go again. Um, so well done for like, looking into it. In recovery they say that you, you keep it by giving it away. Um, and that, that has happened to me a lot throughout the last year and a half. I've been blessed to have so many amazing conversations with people trapped in similar addictions to where I was trapped who are now getting free people going to meetings people being sober for a month people being sober for 48 hours that they mm. never thought they would be and that's nothing to do with me that's just because I had the blessing of seeing this programme and then being able to carry it so yeah to be honest it's I can relate everything down this whole thing why I'm here today um, for getting sober so that really was mm. September the 14th 2018 the beginning of the rest of my life yeah
0: um I've got to say Rory, this is actually one of the things that I think was that really drew me to you when I met you it's this this ability to just be so open you talking about that story of walking into rooms and feeling incredibly anxious I think there is so much strength and power in your vulnerability to talk about these things and actually it makes it makes the voices in other people's heads sort of calm down because you're so able to be so open um so it's just something that I wanted to sort of highlight back to you that I found that you know if I like for example when I first met you I always get like maybe a few nerves first time I ever meet someone or I'm put into a meeting and I think it was Graham that put us in a meeting and it's just it's a silly thing because I know how to have a conversation I know how to buy someone a cup of coffee and I definitely know how to talk creative ideas but I still get that moment and it comes from somewhere you know I'm not quite sure where sometimes, where I just get that little little tingle before I sit down and have a conversation with someone, and and the the moment you're able to just be authentic and just say what you're thinking and what you're feeling in that moment, it's it's such a calming thing to have. I think for anyone who's around you, so I think it's really a really strong quality to your to your kind of character and to your being, and actually to the work that you do as well. So it's just something I wanted to highlight really and and, and give back to you wow thank you that means a lot to me it really really does and
1: yeah I guess that is part of living a free life is speaking out of your mouth what's going on in your brain
2: Mm. rather
1: than trying to hide it like for so long I was just you know saying what you need to say to like look cool look like you got your shit together how you doing all good like no I'm not like I'm having a panic attack I just dropped my (laughs) phone because I'm nervous like that stuff and, and I have found like I've I've made some really deep connections really quickly, like at Tower Yards and like in my kind of current work. I think for that reason. Mm. Because when mm. I talk about my inner voice, because I'm not scared of it anymore. I don't think it's crazy. I don't think it makes me weak. I'm like all good. I'm like, it's me, like take me or leave me. Um then other people show up like that and then yeah. they reflect back to me and then you end up having these deep Deep conversations about anxiety, mm, depression, yeah. trauma, suicidal thinking. And that's... Why talk about anything else? Yeah. Obviously, like, you got to have a bit of fun. I don't <laughs> only talk about that to any single guys listening. <laughs> She's also a barrel of laughs. laughs. But why, really, why talk about anything else? Like, that's the deep stuff of life. Like, I cannot sit there and talk about, like, gossip about other industry yeah, people or, yeah. like, numbers. And something just came into my head... But I wanted to say it was about what you said earlier, Suze, about people having to like go in guns blazing and like Mm. being really angry at music and and that kind of thing. Because I used to be like that. Mm. And I'm not like that anymore. I was like a battle tank and now I'm just like a unicorn. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I like to say. It is. It was your spirit. It is. No, it is my spirit. I'm not changing that for a while. (laughs) Um, So, what changed for me. Because people have this thing, they're like, well, music is so hard. Like, it's against me. Music is against me. Yeah. Music is not hard. Music is the most natural, beautiful, easy thing. What's hard is your expectation of the results. Because you want to do your music and then have a hit record, sign a big deal. You don't get to control that. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, Mm -hmm. that's controlled by market forces, supply and demand, privilege, luck, a lot of things. So we can get help and we can focus and we can try but music yeah that's not hard so that's a lie I think people tell themselves Mm -hmm. and I'm aware that I say that from a very privileged position like Mm. a lot of white privilege I think comes into that as well that I get to say that Mm -hmm. um that's a conversation for another day perhaps but in in the sense that music is hard yeah it's not you know I was writing songs when I was 12 years old that wasn't hard I just did it yeah it was when I wanted people to tell me I was great that's
0: what's hard yeah because you don't get to force someone to do that yeah it's really powerful thank you for sharing that. you were saying something earlier as well about your daily routine and gratitude list I think that's really important that you mention that because I think for anyone listening who's maybe felt or encountered any of the feelings you know whether it's an on a sort of grand scale or a small scale it's it's nice to be able to share the things that we need to keep ourselves in check and I think Any creative people as well need to do those I'm big advocate of the gratitude lists and my daily routine looks like before I even look at my phone I'll sit and free write for fifteen to twenty minutes just to clear all the clutter out of my head. And that for me is what self care looks like. So I'm really glad that you you spent some time sort of sharing that with our with our listeners today because I think those are really important and I think everyone should find their own tools for doing that work as well, however deep it goes. But I think everyone needs a a start Mm -hmm. and everyone everyone needs to um you know you sort of mentioned earlier about waking up and looking in the mirror when you was sort of in your in your worse place Mm. and what you would say to yourself against what you say to yourself now and i think continuing to exercise that side of you the needs the sort of wellness side the emotional side keeping that in check daily probably all contributes to to those conversations changing when we look at ourselves in the mirror Mm. and um there's a really great book by Louise Hay, um, which is around mirror work, which also, I don't know if either of you have ever encountered it around, it's all around sort of talking to yourself and, and uh, in the mirror and saying mantras to yourself. So it's this, this way of actually being able to look at yourself in the eye um, and change the conversation with yourself just by talking directly to yourself. I actually have her um, um, oh, I
2: love that. her
0: self-love cards oh she's just amazing it's yeah it's really powerful the whole talking to self but on that on that
1: vein like I also just want to say that when I was back being the old rock and roll person like snorting all the coke drinking all the drink lawing to myself you know regularly self-harming definitely full of self-loathing but I thought I was like having a great time if someone had said to me like download a gratitude app I would have told them to fuck off (laughs) because like that is not for me like that's loser behavior it's weird it's spiritual same any of this stuff yeah and that's the hard thing yeah because there there's a stubbornness that comes from being really messed up because mm. I've built this messy character. It's taken me fifteen years. Don't tell me to try and get rid of it with your gratitude nonsense. <laughs> and it doesn't. It doesn't sound cool. It's all like airy fairy. Like I'll deal with my problems down the pub. So it's how do you get someone to take that first step into doing something that is going to literally go against the entire personality that they have constructed to keep themselves safe for all this time. Mm. Because we can say, like, people know what to do, don't they? Mm. Morning pages, gratitude lists, meditation. Mm. It's really simple. But Mm. why isn't it easy? Why aren't people doing it? Like, what's that block? So I guess I would just say to anyone that's got this far who's eye-rolling, just give it a go, bruv, and then send me a DM. If you don't like it, I'll pay for your app. All good. (laughs) But just give it a go. You've got to just get over that first
2: hurdle it's so true i think mm. as well like picking up from our, third po- our first po- podcast on lost connections i think so much of our society has had a breakdown in community and like so much of what um is so pivotal to our growth and to us feeling having a good sense of self and having a balanced sense a balanced ego and a balanced sense of that um coming away from depression and anxiety and he talks about it in the book is like having a community. Mm. Was that
1: the case for you? And what did that look like for you? Absolutely, community. When I was drinking, there was me and my boyfriend who was also a big drinker and very few friends. I disconnected from very or a lot of friends. I isolated myself. I had bad relationships with family getting sober where well, you get the sober community or the fellowship or my AA and SLA buddies um, who have become best friends you get the ability because you're not a drunken twat all the time you get the ability to like rebuild friendships so you know like making best friends friends who are like family mm. that can like reflect you and love you unconditionally the Tile Yard family because it is a family Yeah, people that I work with there and um, you know like Graham and you on the management team it's, it's everything because it's mm. people that carry it when it's a bit too heavy mm. and that trust you to carry their shit when it's a bit too heavy for them. yeah and good. it's just beautiful. It's mm. so beautiful to like have that because you never feel alone mm. and you always feel like you can pick up the phone and that's that's hard for me. Like I, I got so used to just being alone and being isolated when I was at my lowest, I didn't know how to do that. So I've had to learn that, like, if I'm upset, you know, like, I'll text you, like, I'm a bit upset. And that comes with a bit of shame. So it's like, why are you sharing that? Like, no, don't, vulnerable, weak. But I'll do it because yeah. I'm okay Yeah. to do that. And just being able to be yourself, be loved for who you are, also be trusted to help others, like, it's big. Yeah. So I think, you know, looking at all of our lives, like, where's our community do mm. we have deep connections at work? Do you have deep connections on a sports team or in group therapy mm. or with like old school friends? Whatever it is, we need close people around us mm. that we love being around, that make us feel good and we make them feel good. I, love, yeah, good. I love that as well. That was
0: amazing. And community is such a massive thing. It's so important. Like we that. talk about it so much at Tollyard, Yard. But just I think, generally, I think especially creative people, we need, and you spoke about it earlier actually, you focused a lot on team you know having a team around you i just think it's always important to remember that we're never doing this alone and i think it's really easy in this society to think that we are um so this is why these sorts of resources podcasts you sharing your story you know on instagram these things are so important i think to continue to keep us connected especially right now (laughs) um for those for those listening maybe a year on from now, we're still all currently <laughs> quarantining. It's it's still, still COVID-19 and what a crazy world shift that's been. I mean, how mm. has that been for you, Rory? Um, it's been okay. Um, You know,
1: very, very privileged to be able to have a roof over my head, not be struggling financially um, and be able to still work. So I'm very, very aware of that. It's been a really deep time of um, therapy and trauma work. I think the CPTSD that I mentioned at the beginning—it's—it's um, yeah—it's really really deep. It's starting to make sense of some really hard things, and um, a lot of triggers for me came up during quarantine times. Um, a trigger is basically when you know something would happen in my daily life, and my reaction to it would be times a hundred. Like losing my emotional um, control. It's basically like having an emotional flashback rather mm. than a, a memory flashback. Um, mm. And that actually, that actually led to sort of what I'd call a bit of a mental breakdown on one day. Um, and that was the day I then chose to go and, you know, see a clinical psychologist. So I've been doing some really deep work and mm. it's been uncomfortable, but equally it's been incredible because I'm probably the most grounded I've ever been and for that I'm very, very grateful. And I'm having mad deja vu, so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it was
2: meant hey, to be.
0: Yeah, that sounds like it's probably a good thing. Um I just I just feel like this podcast has been so insightful and so powerful and I just thank you so much for sharing so much of, of you and your story with us. I really hope that our listeners are able to take take so much away from this. I mean I have I have myself. Um Aww. Is, is there anything, anything else that you'd like to sort of leave our listeners with today? Anything, anything special? I think that
1: two things, if that's okay. And, yeah, and yeah. thank you so much, guys, for having me on. Um, two things. First of all, to really look at closing the gap between your reaction between success and failure because um, so often we're just desperate for success but success can ruin our lives mm. and so often we're petrified of failure but failure can be the rock bottom we build the rest of our lives on yeah. also success can make us really egotistical and failure can make us quit um, especially in music when we do face a lot of rejection sometimes a lot of success to close the gap so when you get a no be like ah alright and when you get a massive yes oh, okay, all right. Yeah. So your core mm. isn't shaken by what's going on in the outside world. That's one thing that's become really valid- valuable to me. And the second thing, I guess, because it's like my core purpose is really about addiction. Um, so just if like anything I've said has resonated with people, whether it's with drugs, alcohol, Sex and love, gambling, I've had them all. So. <laughs> Collected the set there. Five out of five. Um, <laughs> you know, pe- please feel free to DM me. Um, my Instagram is at it's underscore r underscore o underscore r underscore y. At it's Rory. I'm sure these guys will link it up. Just DM me if you've got any questions. I'm so open to talking to people about anything in that lane. Um, so yeah, just wanted to say that as well.
2: I'll just I'll just pick up pick up on what um, Rory said um, about you know the way that you respond to the nose um, and I think this will relate to a lot of people not just um, songwriters but anyone that considers themselves a creative is that what if it's not rejection it's
1: redirection? There she is again. Drop the mic. I won't drop it because it's an expensive podcast mic, but. <laughs> It's the thought that counts, and I thought about dropping it. <laughs> it's not rejection, it's redirection.
2: Yeah. So what if we saw what we perceived as rejection as redirection? We could see, very much like your story that you shared over the podcast, that actually mm. everything that you felt was re- rejection, whether that was a, you know, the loss of relationships, whether it was moving away from Amsterdam, mm-hmm. getting sober it was all redirection to bring you right here
0: I receive every piece of that I love that thank you that's amazing thank you I'm good you know as you were saying that I was just reflecting back over past rejections going ah so what does this how how could I have transmitted this differently so I'm going to take that take that away as a mantra to sit with for this week thank you Suze always giving me something new (laughs) you're welcome guys thank
1: you so much it has been so much fun so I really appreciate you. your time and just for your insightful questions and, and letting me have this much time. Oh, yeah. and thank you so much for being so open and for sharing your
2: story. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. Till next time.
0: yeah. Peace out. Until next time. Thank you, Rory. Bye. Bye.